Hey, guys, let's roll that video. I think I got everything. And uh, let's have some fun today. Happy birthday, Pastor Bill. Bill Cummings. Yes, I know Bill Cummings. Happy birthday. I'd like to wish Pastor Cummings a very happy 70th birthday. So, 70 years old, are you kidding me? Have a wonderful 70th birthday. And by the way, you don't look it. KYCC is so blessed to have you as a friend. Thank you for all the times you have come in and shared with us and the listeners your wit, your wisdom, those gifts, that great communication. What a blessing you have been to us and all our pledge drives. We wish you an amazing year, an amazing birthday, and I have to tell you, I can't believe you're 70. You are a very youthful 70. But God bless you in all you do. Thank you for all you've done for this community and continue to do with the blessings of the Lord upon you. We love you here at KYCC. So, happy birthday, Pastor Bill, my surgery buddy. We've had some good times together at the board meeting, and I certainly understand your age because of your short board reports. In fact, the ones I love the most are the ones that say, we didn't have a meeting. So, that brevity in our meetings pays big dividends, and I appreciate it. In fact, you know, Bill, hard to believe, 70 years old. The man is an iconic example of his generation almost kind of like he's stuck in time, you know, his hair is like never out of place, and he's right out of a page in GQ magazine, Gentleman's Quarterly, I mean, I admire him, obviously, and there's a lot of reasons why, I know that uh, if you're watching this, Bill, you're surrounded by many people who love and respect you, happy birthday. I met Bill uh, for the first time about 10 years ago. I remember when uh, we first started to work together, someone told me that uh, Bill kind of a Bible thumper, and so there's probably a chance that he would not be in support of most uh, liquor licenses. Uh, since then, I think together we've probably approved a good 30 liquor licenses, and I don't believe we've ever uh, turned one down. Bill strikes me really as one of the most patient people I've ever met. He's a positive guy, upbeat, friendly guy, and even on contentious uh, issues, uh, he has a way of diffusing things. So I, I've learned a lot from him on, on the Planning Commission. So Bill, I just wanted to thank you for your mentorship over the years and for not giving up on me, and I wish you a happy 70th birthday. God love you, brother. Happy birthday, Bill. I'm so thankful for the opportunity that I've had to serve beside you in this community your presence on our foundation board and on our hospital governing board makes a huge difference and you bring a sense of peace and a sense of godliness to the work that we do in our community. We're blessed to have you. We're so thankful for this milestone in your life that represents so many years of service that you've given to this community and this region. Hi, Pastor Bill. I consider him to be a friend. He's a great, great leader and a visionary. He is so forward-thinking. He's got this great church in between Lodi and Stockton, and he realizes the responsibilities of a leadership role in this community. I believe Bill feels that the whole world is one large family. Hi, I'm Doug Keene, Mayor of Lodi. 
and I'm here to wish Bill Cummins a happy 70th birthday. I understand your birthday is August 20th, and I'd like to proclaim that day as mayor of Lodi, Bill Cummins Day. Bill, I've known you for almost 30 years. When you moved to Lodi, I met you. And I tell you what, we've had quite a journey together over those 30 years. I sat with you on the Planning Commission. I've worked with Bear Creek Water. And by the way, I have to commend you. Bear Creek has brought clean water to over thousands of people across the world. So my hat's off to you for doing that, Bill. And thank you for getting me involved in that and the church I attend as well. Bill, you're one of the best orators of God's Word that I've been able to sit under. I appreciate your values and your morals. They have served you well on the Planning Commission. And talking about the Planning Commission, I have something I'd like to read. Commissioner Cummins started his first two terms on the Planning Commission in July 2005 and ending in June of 2013. You needed a break, apparently, but you only got one year off, and they reappointed you to the Planning Commission in 2014. While on the commission, Bill participated in the review of many of the city's development projects. Most notable are the 2011 Housing Element and the 2013 Development Code Update. That was a lot of work. You helped with the Lodi Shopping Center Design Review, the Walmart Reuse, and as a side note, my wife loves Hobby Lobby, and I'm thrilled that we have a Christian business here in town. So thank you for that. The 2016 through 2023 housing element update, Rosegate Phase 2 subdivision, and the Groupie Taylor Road subdivision, and the Groupie Turner Road subdivision, Kmart building reuse. Wow, that's a lot. Bill, on a side note, I just want to wish you again happy birthday and congratulations. And from the city of Lodi, again, thank you for your service. Have a great day. Wow, how cool is that? Well, good morning, Bear Creek family. For those that don't know me, my name is Josh Cummins. I'm my dad's oldest son, and we're going to do something a little unusual this Sunday morning. We're going to talk about August 20, 1947, 70 years ago today. As far as American history is concerned, dad being the history buff, I could only find two notable events recorded on that day. The first was that William Lee Cummins was born in a hospital in Detroit, Michigan. The second was that President Harry Truman announced that the U.S. government would end its fiscal year with a record budget surplus of $5 billion, for which he received bipartisan applause. A federal budget surplus on the day my dad was born, in which there was bipartisan applause. Seventy years later, oh, how the times have changed, huh? Well, Dad, this is an incredibly exciting day as we celebrate 70 years of your life. As you know, turning 70 means two things. Number one, 
you've survived the 60s. Number two, you've survived your 60s. Well, as I reflect upon the father that my dad was to me and his influence upon my life, I'm struck by how he taught and led me by example in biblical values, in work ethic, and in service. My dad didn't always tell me how to live. Rather, he showed me how to live by letting me watch him do it. Growing up in Detroit through the age of 13, my dad raised me and my brothers with a strong work ethic. From school work to yard work, the ethic was to rise early, show up on time, work hard, and complete the task without complaining. My dad taught me how to shine his shoes, mow the lawn, shovel snow off the driveway, pick the weeds, and wash the car. Of course, today I pay other people to do those same things for me. My dad established many family verses over the years. My favorite was Zephaniah 3.17, which emphasizes how the Lord is active and does everything, and we don't have to do much other than receive from him. I love how it is written. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love, and he will rejoice over you with singing. I remember virtually every night my dad would walk into my bedroom growing up and he would say three things. I love you, son. I'm proud of you. And God has an incredible plan and purpose for your life. As a result, I felt true, unconditional love, and it made it very natural for me to see, feel, and receive the love of my Heavenly Father. As a young boy, I have so many memories of hearing my dad preach, sitting in the front row, dressed in a suit and tie, Our church was literally a second home as my brothers and I were always there on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening, and often on Saturdays as well when my dad would prep his sermon and we would play hide-and-seek in the church sanctuary uh, or sports in the church gym. Speaking of sports, my dad encouraged and nurtured a deep love of sports in me, both competing as a player and rooting as a fan. He took my brothers and me to opening day at Tiger Stadium with snow still on the field, He took us to Joe Louis Arena to watch the Red Wings play in Hockey Town, USA. Took us to root for the Pistons on the hardwood. He took us to the Pontiac Silverdome to watch the dreadful Lions lose another heartbreaker, which has now led to decades of suffering and a myriad of therapy sessions. Thanks, Dad. My dad coached our baseball teams and cheered at our basketball teams. He took us fishing on Lake St. Clair and taught me to play the underappreciated game of racquetball. Speaking of which, we recently had a rematch in Lodi, and I was so much more competitive than in my youth. Now, to be fair, my dad's knees were acting very much like they were 70 years old. My dad also introduced me to golf at a nearby course in Detroit. I still remember the first tee shot of my life when the ball exploded off the club face and split the fairway. I was immediately hooked and also set up for a lifetime of frustration. As a boy, I remember several of my dad's favorite sayings to us. Perhaps you've heard a few of these before. Money doesn't grow on trees. Were you born in a barn? You don't like this? Well, this builds character. Don't trouble your brother. I'll give you something to cry about. You can do that when you pay the bills. And my personal favorite, 
Go ask your mother. As an impressionable young boy, two stories illustrate my dad's heart of love toward me. The first occurred when my prepubescent body generated a potent cocktail of depressing and irrational emotions. Thoughts began racing through my mind, which convinced me that life in my parents' home was no longer fun. And a life of excitement and adventure was awaiting me elsewhere. So I impetuously acted on these thoughts and notified my dad that I would be leaving home this very minute and running away. To where? I had no idea. As a good father, my dad inquired as to my plans. How much money have you saved to take with you, he said. Where will you sleep tonight? How will you support yourself? Okay, son. Um, do you want to go into the kitchen and say goodbye to mom before you leave? No, I replied resolutely. With that, I opened the back door, stepped under the driveway, and began to walk toward the street. My dad, of course, followed me out. After seeing him, I began to run down the driveway to get away. My dad sprinted after me and gently tackled me. He held me, half laughing. My obstinate wall of defiance melted away. I was loved and wanted. Try as I might, my dad wouldn't let me get away. We walked back up to the driveway and into the house. So much for running away. The second story might not have occurred but for the success of a small gaming company by the name of Atari. In 1982, five years after the first Atari video computer system was released, the company launched the spectacular Atari 2600 gaming unit. And it just happened to come with a game cartridge called Pac-Man. It wasn't cheap either. It cost $199, the equivalent of $800 today. Well, Atari became all the rage. And my brother Dan and I begged Santa Claus to slide down our impossibly small chimney with an Atari gaming unit the following year on Christmas Day, 1983. Lo and behold, it was a very merry Christmas. Soon, Space Invaders, Donkey Kong, and Miss Pac-Man found their way into our family's den. Dan and I were hooked as that joystick brought us such joy. One night, we were playing well past our bedtime. My dad came into the den to tell us it was time for bed. We begged him to allow us to play longer. He responded by saying that he and mom were going to sleep, but that he would allow us to play for 10 more minutes if we absolutely promised to come upstairs and go to bed thereafter. He was very serious, so we promised to obey. Well, as you can imagine, for boys aged 11 and 10 years old, respectively, 10 minutes quickly turned into one hour. As the older son, I rationalized that disobeying my dad was less important than setting a new high score in Miss Pac-Man. The next morning, Dan and I were right back in the den playing video games again. My dad came in, and the discussion quickly confirmed that we had not been obedient the night before. Well, on the top of our fridge was a long wooden stick called a rod. Today, just the sight of a rod would get child services brought into the home. But back then, it wasn't considered a weapon. It was considered a loving teaching and disciplinary tool. My dad went and got the rod. He then explained how we had disobeyed and disobedience was sin. He further explained that we needed to be disciplined for our sin, but that he would bear the consequence on our behalf. So he bent over, he reached back with the rod in his right hand, and he smacked himself on the backside over and over. I was shocked beyond belief. As a result, a spiritual lesson was deeply imprinted on my heart. My dad, but really my heavenly dad, loves me so much that he is willing to bear the consequence for the sin that I so deeply deserve. 
A few years later, we moved to Lodi. At the age of 16, my dad and mom told my brothers and me that they felt called to plant a church in Stockton. My dad said it would be a church for those who are turned off to religion, but not to God, believing that God wants to bless you, not blast you. And it would be a church that connected people to Jesus and his love for them. After a year of planning, we launched the church on April 9, 1989 at Delta Sierra Middle School. My brothers and I set up the nursery in the children's room. We set up all the chairs in the sound system. We stuffed the bulletins. We were the greeters and the videographers, and we were the totality of the youth group. More than anything, though, there was an exciting expectation of what God was going to do in the life of the church body and the community. Now, more than 28 years later, we can look back on how God has moved so faithfully while looking forward to the future with more hope and expectation than ever before. The great theologian Albert Einstein said, Only a life lived in the service to others is worth living. Those words define much of my dad's life. I've observed his character, faithfulness, discipline, consistency, encouraging words, and glass-half-full optimism. I've watched my dad help people with various needs inside and outside of the church body for decades. I've watched my dad preach while sick as a dog. I've witnessed him share the good news of the gospel and engage the community civically. I've seen my dad endure great adversity so many times with profound faith, strength, and dignity. I've never heard my dad complain a day in his life about the heavy workload, the early mornings, the financial sacrifices, the endless needs, the unexpected crises, the spiritual attacks, the middle-of-the-night phone calls, or the emotional burdens inherent in the life of a pastor. I've watched him live according to the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, 7, serve the Lord with your whole heart as if serving the Lord, not people. Recently, I saw my dad wholeheartedly and brokenheartedly engage the love of his life, caring for my mom as she battled for her life. He prayed for her, served her, fed her, bathed, stayed awake all night with her, and loved her with all of his heart. It was the greatest challenge of his life. Tested his mind, his emotions, and his strength. Tested his spirit and his faith. Yet, I see a man walking through the pain of this loss with his heart shouting, how great is our God, with deeper conviction than ever before. It has been said that men are like wine. Some turn to vinegar, but the best improve with age. Let's just say that my dad is turning into a very fine Lodi Zinfandel. So, Dad, given that your mom was Irish and your dad loved poetry, I will close with this Irish poem, which perfectly expresses my sentiments today. The test of gold is fire, and the test of truth is time. The test of God's love are the heavens above and everything sublime. Treasures in life are many, dreams realized, but few. But I know the test of God's goodness is when he gave me a dad like you. Happy, happy birthday, Dad. I love you. And now it is my pleasure to introduce the person who was by my side for so many youthful adventures, my brother Dan. Thank you, Josh. Man, so many good memories there. I don't remember, Dad, you taking that discipline for me. But I'm sure my kids are now going to be talking to me about that when we get home, aren't we? 
over here. Well, good morning, Bear Creek Church. So good to be here. Um, Dad, happy 70th birthday. Very much an honor to stand here to be able to celebrate you and the man that you are and the dad that you've been. <clears throat> so it was just a bit more than 13 years ago that Sarah gave birth to our oldest son, Noah, and that launched us into being parents. And of course, uh, that made me a dad for the first time. And since then, we've added uh, two other boys and a precious daughter, Ava, and been in the ups and downs of being a parent. And for those of us that are married, we know that marriage is tough in and of itself, but you throw some kids in there and it can get uh, dicey uh, at times. It's kind of like what comedian Jim Gaffigan said one time, who has five kids. He said, sometimes there are times when I feel totally inadequate at being a parent. I call those times being awake. <laughs> and uh, being now parents for and a dad for 13 years of three boys like yourself, dad, plus a daughter, as I said, uh, I'm thankful that we were not left alone, that I was, I had an example to go by. I had a, I had a template to model my parenting after, and that was you, dad. And so, um, what I wanted to do is just highlight some different ways that you left your imprint on me. And what I was hoping to do is just kind of talk to you while I kind of talk to everybody. But I, I grouped them into four categories. And so the first category of gifts, Dad, that I think you gave to us was the first way you left an imprint is that you were there. You gave us the gift of your presence. Just read a statistic recently that in the U.S., one in three kids do not live with their biological father in the home. And so to have you there as boys growing up, Dad, so meaningful, so important, and so thankful for that. Kind of how that played out for us is you were always there for dinner with the family every night, played baseball catch with us, shot hoops, took us golfing, going to Detroit Tiger baseball games. A number of times you were our Little League baseball coach. Um, I recently finished coaching Noah's basketball team this summer, and I was reminded, reminded many times during that process of, hey, this is what my dad used to do. He used to coach us and be there for us. You sought ways to make meaningful connection with us. I remember uh, the time that I got accepted into UCLA. I did not know that. And I was at baseball practice. This was my senior year in high school. And all of a sudden I look, and my dad is walking out onto the field, and he's got a, he's got a baseball cap on, and I can tell it's a, a UCLA baseball hat. And that was your way to make a meaningful connection with me to tell me that I had been accepted to that college. <clears throat> I think perhaps even most significant, Dad, though, for me was during my formative years in high school coincided with the planting of this church. And if you don't know, when you start a church, when you plant a church, the most critical and demanding years are those, uh, those initial years. Those are, the, those are the years, those are the, the times that demand the most from the planting pastor. And my memory is that for, during those years of the beginnings of Bear Creek Church, 28 years ago, uh, during my formative years in la- the latter part of high school, was that you were always at my games, you were always there, and I always knew that my dad was going to be there. <clears throat> and I know that life gets busy. And we feel the struggle with that as parents ourselves. And so I'm just so thankful, Dad, that you made the time. You carved out the time and you made that a priority. And that's really left its imprint on me. A second category, Dad, is just 
the gift of godliness. It's the man that you were, the example that you set, how you lived your life uh, as not only a pastor, as a husband, but also as a dad. You were our dad, but you are our dad who loved Jesus. And this was evident in your character. And besides maybe the most obvious way, because you were a pastor, there are two particular ways that stand out in my mind. And that is, you were a dad who modeled self-control. It's no secret that for many men, anger can be, if we're going to generalize, anger can be an issue for a lot of men. But I don't have, I don't have any memories, Dad, of you having an outburst of anger or rage. No recollection of you disciplining us in anger. You did discipline us, as Josh pointed out, sometimes yourself, apparently. Um, but you never did it in anger. And when the Bible talks about the family dynamics, the Bible is always clear to address fathers first. So, for example, Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And you walk that out for us, Dad. You also uh, modeled trust in Jesus in difficult circumstances. And just this week, I was back home in Texas before coming out, going through some old uh, box of stuff that we had, and I found a letter that you had written to the three boys. Uh, it was 1987. It was one year to the date after we had moved from Detroit to Lodi. And on that move out, you had asked Josh and I if you could borrow the few hundred dollars we had saved in our bank account to kind of help facilitate and pay for the move and not the move, but traveling across the country as we as we journeyed out here to California. And in the letter, you said, um, boys, I just want you to remember one thing about your first year in California and that God is faithful. And so it was this in many other ways that, that you kept pointing us back to our heavenly father. And it was your fatherhood that that made that example for us. And so we'll thank you for that. The third way, Dad, and I think the thing that I'm perhaps most grateful for is that you gave us the gift of the gospel. You made Jesus the center of our home, and really from birth, that's how it was. As Josh mentioned, from day one, uh, Jesus was there. You were faithful to pass along the gift that was given to you, which was a godly legacy. And so you have been faithful to pass that baton well. Now, as parents, we can't save our kids. But what we can do uh, is kind of how I like to think about it is a fire with kindling. We can put kindling around that fire and then pray for the Holy Spirit to ignite that fire. And you, as a dad, were faithful to place a plethora of kindling around that that the Lord was able to use and ignite in our lives. <clears throat> and because of this, by God's grace, I don't have any memories of life pre-Jesus. As far back as I can remember, Jesus has been at the center of our home. And that dynamic is one thing that Sarah and I actually pray for for our kids, that our kids would have that same experience. <clears throat> but the fourth category, Dad, is that, which was kind of unique, and that is that when I was here on staff with you for about five years, you were not only my dad, but you were my pastor and my boss all at the same time. And some things I learned from you just by watching you lead and live your life in that role. I learned what humility looks like. In an age where we see the celebrity pastor, here's what I saw from you. The opposite of that. You are oftentimes the first to arrive and the last to leave. On Sunday mornings, you oftentimes took the farthest parking spot away because you wanted the visitors to have the opportunity to park as close to the building as they could. 
On several occasions, you turned down board-initiated raises. So for you, it wasn't about the money. And you were always the same person in private as you were in public. I learned what leadership looks like. This obviously was displayed in planting and leading Bear Creek Church, still going strong today. You just had the innate ability to know how to get things done. You You knew what to do and how to do it. In the early days, you had no office, so you would office at UJ's restaurant, even to the point where you're getting phone calls there. As we saw in the video a few moments ago, you're known in the community, Dan. You've become embedded into this area. So many times I've been out with you and I get a, hey, Pastor Bill, doesn't matter where we're going to get an oil change, go to a restaurant, just walking around the grocery store. And even recently now, watching kind of from a distance as you planned ahead for your transition and that whole process to bring Paul and Ashley in. I also learned what a true shepherd looks like. You showed me that it was never about you and it was always about the people. I remember asking you one day what kind of your thought process was as you came into a Sunday morning. And one of the things that you said to me is that that still stands in my mind is that everyone gets a touch. And what that meant was even with 800 to 1,000 people, your goal was that everybody gets a handshake, a pat on the back, a wave, some kind of recognition that, hey, I'm your pastor and I see that you're here today. You were always inviting people, always wanting more and more people to meet Jesus. <clears throat> and so those are some of the ways, Dad, that you've left your imprint on me. And just want to end by pointing out one more thing. And that is just to say that your influence continues to affect me. And most recently, this was expressed in the way that you loved and cared for mom as she battled her cancer. And just a quick story to to illustrate that. Stories of a young man in his early 20s and he's about to get married. So he's engaged and he's he's talking to his future father-in-law who happens to be a pastor. And the young man said, hey, dad, I've got an idea for the wedding. I'd like to write my own wedding vows. And the older, wiser, soon-to-be father-in-law says, no. And somewhat perplexed, he says, well, why can't I write my own wedding vows? And the the father-in-law said, because you don't know what love and commitment are yet. And he was like, what what are you talking about? I I love your daughter. We've been dating 18 months. I know what love is. And he said, son, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, good times and bad, and sickness and in health, you cannot improve upon that. That's love and commitment. And so thank you, Dad, for showing us what love and commitment are. And it's been said that as dads, one of the ways we can love our kids well is by loving our wives well. And so thank you, Dad, for loving us boys well by loving mom well. Happy 70th birthday. I love you. And now, our youngest brother, Matt, is going to come and share. (laughs) Well, what an incredible joy and honor to be here today to pay tribute to my father and 70 exceptional years of life. Through the years, 
I've come up with a number of very endearing ways to, to call my father. That ranges from Pops, Pa, Papi, Padre, Pastor B, and even Guillermo. Now, who here knows what Guillermo means? Okay, we have a few astute folks in the audience. So, Guillermo is my father's name, William, in Spanish. And as uh, a quick sidebar, in case you didn't know, in the Spanish version of the Bible, Genesis 1-1 starts out with the following phrase. El idioma del cielo es el español. That means Spanish is the language of heaven. And so if you did not understand that phrase, then I would strongly encourage you to go out and download a Spanish-speaking podcast, a book. I encourage you to sign up for the next Mexico or El Salvador mission. Even this afternoon, we have a 2 p.m. service in Spanish in the tent. My father, you can tap him for some tutoring because we don't want you all going up there and being dazed and confused. Now, in addition, this means that from now on, whenever you see my dad, you have to call him Pastor Guillermo. So, on the count of three, we're going to do a little practice together. One, two, three. Pastor Guillermo. Awesome. So I, I first met my dad in 1979 in Hutzel Hospital, which is downtown Detroit. And my father and I are the only ones in our family who were actually born in the greatest city in the universe, Detroit. And this gives us a bond that far supersedes that of any of my brothers, <laughs> to start with. So my dad and I, we eat, breathe, think, feel Detroit. Detroit is tattooed in our innermost core and soul. And just by a quick show of hands, lift up your hand if you've actually visited the greatest place on universe, Motown. Interesting. So we actually have quite a few people. Now, if you've been to Detroit, you, you might know the answer to some of these very common questions. For example, how does somebody from Detroit answer the front door? Well, if you're smart, it's with a shotgun. <laughs> how do kids in Detroit spend the first week of every school year? Studying their Miranda rights. What does somebody from Detroit call a crack pipe? Lunchtime. And what do Detroiters refer to arsonists? Arsonists are fondly referred to as urban renewal specialists. Now, as we've already heard from my brothers, my father has embedded within us uh, an unbreakable, fiery passion for Detroit sports. And of course, for those of you who know anything about sports, that has been much more of a curse than a blessing. And you might also know the answer to some of these common questions. For example, why did the U.S. Post Office just revoke the latest edition of stamps? Well, it's because they had pictures of Detroit Tigers baseball players on them, and people didn't know which side to spit on. And 
why does L.A. have gangs, smog, and earthquakes, and Detroit, the Pistons? Because L.A. got to pick first. And how do the Detroit Lions count to ten? Oh, and one. Oh, and two. Oh, and three. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, and nine. Oh, and ten. Yes, our football team is the only franchise in all of history to go the entire season without winning a single game. And it still hurts. It still hurts. Now, fortunately, my dad and I, we share much more than a common birthplace and a, a fiery passion for Detroit sports. In fact, we share many of his, his greatest qualities, which he has shown by example and embedded with, within my very being. So let's start with adventure. Now, my dad, after graduating from high school, he hopped on a plane, went to Central America, hitchhiked around navigating civil wars, ended up in Belize, and became an English-speaking version of Che Guevara with a Bible. That's adventure. How many of you can barely ride a bicycle across the street? Well, my dad, back in the day, hopped on a bicycle in Miami, Florida, cruised more than 3,500 miles, traversing the Rocky Mountains, and ended up in Seattle, Washington. All the while, camping outside and evangelizing. That, my friends, is adventure. And you may not know, but before my dad planted this church, he spent a number of years in the 80s working for Bibles for India, and he would go over and spend months at a time dodging malaria, typhoid, tuberculosis, extreme poverty, planting churches, and spreading the good news. That, my friends, is adventure. Now, in my life, that has had a almost sickening influence. Look no further than our, our new home place. My family and I, we just moved to, to Kenya at the start of this year. And Kenya happens to be one of the poorest countries on planet Earth. It's also facing constantly refugees, Islamic terror, health pandemic outbreaks, and so on. And if you see the news in the last two weeks, we're currently in quasi-civil war following some contested presidential elections. And then we have my wife. My wife is here. Emma, hello. For those of you who don't know her, she is perfect and beautiful. And perfect and beautiful she is, but she is also a Spanish firecracker with a temperament like no other, which means, thanks, Dad, my life is a never-ending adventure. <laughs> now, it's not just adventure that my dad has bestowed upon me, but it's death-defying adventure. Now, my dad, many years ago, he took a group of, of students down to Brazil, and he dropped them off at various points uh, around the country, and then he and some friends ended up on the beach in Rio de Janeiro. And they were spending the day surfing. And so his friends were tired. They went in to drink some caipirinha, done some samba. But my dad said, one more wave. Now, unfortunately for him, that wave knocked him under and knocked him out. And he was washed up on the beach. And by the grace of God, a doctor was walking by, pulled him up, resuscitated and brought him back to life. That is death-defying adventure. Amen. Now, 
flash forward 50 years. My dad and I were in El Salvador, uh, I think 2011-ish. And, of course, we were visiting the church in Sonsonate. And then we decided to plan a little scuba diving adventure. And so we went to this small lake in the middle of the country. And uh, the lake is unique because the first 15 or 20 feet, there's this kind of dark, misty cloud. But once you break through the cloud, then you have perfect visibility. So the dive master jumps in. I jump in. We break through the cloud. We pop out. And we're waiting. And we're waiting. And my dad's not there. So after like two minutes, the dive master's like, we got to go see what's going on. So we go up to the surface, and we still can't see my dad. So we go into the boat, and then we can prop ourselves up, and we see some, some oxygen bubbles coming up, you know, maybe 15, 20 meters away. And then suddenly, through the surface, my father comes up surging, and he has blood scourging out of his face. And I'm thinking, we are in a wooden boat in the middle of El Salvador, we're with the dive master. He's probably 16 years old. And my dad just had a scuba accident and a brain aneurysm. It's game over. But God is good. And my father, a survivor. Death-defying adventure. Amen. Now, in my life, that influence has also been profound. And some of these stories are probably not appropriate for a church setting. But I've had encounters with the KGB in Czechoslovakia. I was robbed by a gang of street kids in Paraguay with machetes. Uh, I walked away unscathed from a, a horrific train accident in Germany. But thanks to my father, I've had this death-defying adventure imprinted on, on my life, which has not always been such a great thing. <laughs> now, beyond the adventure, perhaps my father's uh, greatest influence on me has been his, his, deep and his deep passion for social justice. And when he first came here to start Bear Creek, one of the, the first mission, mission ideas that he had was to, to go to Mexico and to serve some of the most poorest and underserved populations that are, are close to us. In our own city, you know, we know just yesterday, we have Acapulco Way reaching out to that, that uh, community that's, that's in need. That's been around since the church was first started. Feeding the homeless. Then there's the more recent examples of the the connection and relationship with the community in El Salvador, a community that's ravaged by so many challenges, but we're going there, building relationships and helping to address uh, grave inequalities. And then, of course, Bear Creek Water. I mean, what is, what is more defining of social justice than recycling cans to bring clean water to kids and families who would otherwise, in many cases, be drinking their own feces? That is social justice. And from a very young age, I can recall going to Mexico with my dad and crossing the border and just being perplexed. You know, how with just in a few hundred feet could there be such a radical disparity in living standards? And then we'd go to the dumps of Tijuana and bathe kids, bring food, build houses. And so that experience and my, my dad's mission in that sense has profoundly impacted me. And that led me to join the Peace Corps as a, a recent college graduate where I, I worked and lived with street kids. And then flash forward to my current job, I, I work with UNICEF, which is the United Nations Children's Program, and I'm in the, the Africa headquarters, and every day our bottom line is how many kids, how many of the poorest and the most vulnerable kids did we protect and save? And that is 100% due to my father's influence, which I continue to live out through my life. Now, beyond the, the adventure and the social justice, my father obviously has had a huge impact um, 
we've already heard this from my brothers, but in terms of being a loving and devoted husband, look no further than the past five months where my dad left everything to care for my mother, um, which was just a, a profound example of that. And then, of course, his relentless faith. I mean, we're all standing in this building, which is a reflection of my dad's unwavering faith throughout his life, which has now impacted my family and my life. Now, I just want to add one more thing before we move into the closing, which is what I think makes my dad an exceptional dad, which he's lived throughout his entire life. And that is he always made time and space to be with us, all of us, his kids, and to connect with us. And as we heard, that was coaching our Little League teams growing up, going to our sporting events. Um, And then for me, a big issue was, was fishing. Now, my dad, if you know him, you know that he is a a very impatient person. Whether it's suffering through a timeout in a sporting event, waiting in line for a coffee, airport security, he doesn't like to waste time. And he also hates fishing. But I grew up in the Central Valley, and I mean, there's nothing else to do except fish. So my friends and I, that's what we did. And so my dad, despite all of his, his inner struggles, repeatedly has taken me out throughout my life on amazing fishing trips. And in fact, we're going to go this week with Pat to the Sacramento River to go striper fishing. And at least two of us will be very excited to to do that. (laughs) Now, my brother Dan actually cited a uh, a statistic that I was going to use right now, and I need to challenge his source, because I was going to contextualize my my father. uh, And Dan said it was one in three kids will sit at a dinner table tonight without a father. And my source says it's closer to one in two, okay? So in the U.S., it's a lot. We can round up. But, you know, if we think about this, one in two kids will will sit down at a dinner table tonight and not have a father figure present. And to just reflect on my father, his crazy passion for Christ, his activism, uh, his constant love and attention and care to to all of us uh, has been just so remarkable and, and such a blessing. So how could we ever even begin to to count our blessings for having such an amazing father uh, to grow up with. So, Papa, Papi, Padre, Pastor B, Pastor Guillermo, eres el mejor y te quiero mucho. So we now turn it over to the man of the hour, my dad. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. Please, please, please be seated. Thank you. Thank you so much. You know, there's so much I could say uh, to each of my sons. Thank you, guys. You, you did a great job. And uh, let me just give credit where credit is due. Raising them was uh, heavily because of Dottie and her influence as, as a godly mother. And so, uh, great, great job. There is much I could say. Uh, there are some thoughts I wanted to say, but they don't need to be said uh, right now, uh, today. But uh, I think one of the important takeaways we can have uh, is that regardless of the 
biological parents you have or didn't have, in regards to the family that you grew up in, uh, whether you were deserted, whether you had foster parents, whether you had adopted parents, whether you had biological parents, whether your parents were there or were not there, I think the best takeaway we can have today is that we have a wonderful Heavenly Father. And regardless of how good... Regardless of how good or how bad your growing up experience may have been, uh, the wonderful thing about the gospel is that we have a good, good father who loves us and can compensate for anything that you may have lost out on. Uh, I thank God for my sons and for their three beautiful wives and for the nine grandchildren uh, they blessed us with and for this uh, time uh, to be together. And yet, in light of all of that, we want to give Thanks to God, our, our Heavenly Father. And maybe you're here today, and as you sat through this uh, little family uh, gathering that we shared with you this morning, um, you know, maybe something struck a chord in your heart, in your spirit, uh, something from the past, maybe something that's still kind of a, a hurt for you. And maybe you're here today, you just like prayer for some need in your life. It might be a family need, it might be a financial need, it might be a physical need, it might be an emotional need, it might be a career, a job need. If you have a prayer need today, as we end our service this morning, uh, we do want to pray for you. So I want to invite you to, to stand with me. I want to invite our, our leaders to quickly come to the front. We're going to end our service with a, a great song that uh, Chris Talman wrote that talks about we have a good, good father. And I would ask you to enter into a time of, of praise and prayer. And if you have a need this morning, we'd just be honored to uh, take a few moments and just pray for you today about whatever uh, prayer need you have in your life. And then I'll come back and end our service uh, in, in just a moment. Let's worship the Lord. Let's be in a spirit of prayer. And my friends, if you need prayer, boy, don't leave today without letting us pray for you today. God bless you. Join with the worship team as, as they lead us in this song. Who I've heard tells and stories so why they think your life not tender whisper of love in the dead of night yet you tell me that you're pleased in that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I Searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide because you know just what we need before we say a word. You're a good, good father. Do you are? Who I am.
have a good, good father, and he loves you more than you'll ever know. He's always here for you. <clears throat> he always wants to lift you up, and he'll never let you down. He always has exactly what's right for exactly what's wrong. He's always here to bless your life. He doesn't want to blast your life. He's always here because he loves you, and the Bible tells us that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in, in Jesus Christ. And may his love and his amazing grace just surround you in your life throughout this week. Sons, thank you so much for that tribute. You know, a lot of times, uh, I was thinking a lot of times you don't get this until you're dead and you have it at your funeral and you're not even there. So I'm glad I got it before I died. So that's, that's certainly good. That's very good. I'll, I'll take it every time. But uh, thank you so much for coming today. Do you have some uh, low-calorie low uh, birthday cake out in the lobby there? Let me just pray for you before you go. Father God, thank you that you are our Father in heaven. We pray to you, Lord, and we, uh, we want to declare the will of heaven to be done in the life of every person here, in the life of our church, the life of our community. May the will of God be done here, Lord. May we live out our maximum redemptive potential for you today and in the months and years ahead, Father. Thank you for life and health. Thank you for the ability to serve you wholeheartedly. And we look forward to great and mighty things that you're going to do. And we pray them all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.